Hello, TSF family. We wanted to start off by saying thank you. Thank you for listening to this podcast and for your hard work to love yourself more and for your feedback. Can you believe it's been three years that we've been doing this spiritual fix and it has been such a beautiful labor of love for Anna and me. We have loved doing this work. We've loved hearing from you and we love exploring ourselves and each other alongside our listeners. We wanted to put out the call for three ways that you can help support us to support you. One, we would love you to leave us a review on iTunes or follow us on Spotify. Two, drop us an email and let us know how much the podcast means to you. And three, you can donate monthly or even just once to our PayPal patronage. Every little bit helps and we are so grateful to those of you who have donated already. Thank you. You help make this podcast possible. Thanks, y'all. You can go to our website, www.thisspiritualfix.com for information on how to pledge as well as to email us. Welcome to The Spiritual Fix, Episode 10, Season 3. Today we are going to be interviewing Jamie Caddo. He is an author, filmmaker, and musician running transformational workshops and events to reclaim all the treasure we edited away into the shadows. This spiritual fix. Two mystical mamas hacking the self-help game. With Anna Stromquist and Christina Wilson. Good morning, Christina. Good morning, Anna. And good morning, morning. Jamie. (laughs) Good morning to our special guest. I wanted to give a quick bio about you while you're here for anyone who isn't familiar with your work, especially your documentary that we love. Originally, you were a musician and you started the group Faithless and you went on to form One Giant Leap. In 1988, you heard a cassette of Ram Das, And then in 1994, when you met him in person, your life was changed forever. And you decided to, your, your life shifted and you focused more on unity. You traveled the world. You made some beautiful documentaries. You, you made a TED Talk talking about one of these tours where you traveled the world and you had musicians contribute to music. You founded this project called the 15 Minutes of Friendship, which is amazing. Anyone listening who has children can go to 15minutesoffriendship.com. We'll put the the link in the show notes. And the idea is that people are unified when they understand and know each other. So the idea is that if your child connects to someone in another country for just 15 minutes, they're going to be more moved and touched when they see things on the war happening in another country, for example. It doesn't become so distant. Then you made a docu-series in 2004, What About Me? You did the film, the documentary, Becoming Nobody, which is all about Ram Das in 2019, which we have a whole episode basically about that. You were the keynote speaker for the Human Potential series in 2020, and currently you are delivering coaching and workshops about basically Adam and Eve healing the primary wound of the planet. And one of your recent series is the bitches and bastards where you're working on healing the wounds between the male and the female dynamic. So that's really what, well, you go ahead. That's what we're really interested in. I don't think 15 minutes of friendship is live at the moment. It's going between different uh, schools and connections, everything. So people can't quite go and see too much. Oh, getting the children to all hook up with each other but the other things okay I went to the website and it said join us so I thought it was up yeah great 
keep it there. Fine. All right. Great. So Jamie, one of the first questions we wanted to ask you is that I was going back and watching some of your past lectures, discourses, interviews, things like that. And this season, what we're talking about is the root chakra. So, you know, we're kind of covering Tantra, we're kind of covering a lot of different things, but but more so what I see it as is the is the interplay between the divine feminine aspect within us or the feminine energy aspect with us and the divine masculine. And I've heard, you, I've heard you talk about the Taoist and yin and yang. Would you kind of expand on that from that perspective since we've kind of covered? Some yeah, I, I'm not sure my angle on it or it will be that useful to you, but the way where it, I guess one starting point is, you know, the ancient Taoists, as you know, they have the yin yang symbol that we all know very, very well. And they split the dualistic uh, environment that we live in into the duality of yin and yang, yang being what they would say masculine. We don't need to use the genders so much, get ourselves into trouble in this day and age. Right. The part, the part of each of us, boys and girls, that penetrates the world, that does things, that uses our will, that ends the thing, gets to the finish line, has a point. Um, and yeah, the part of us that does things, the outward penetrative doing force. But one thing we're not really taught so much in schools um, is the other whole half of us, which is the feminine yin, which is the receptive, the part of us that is moved by life, that a great idea pops into your head, the part of us that's receptive, that's curious, that's listening, that sits in space, the part that gets into the flow state um, and is moved. So, you know, there have been a lot of books written by great sportsmen on how to get into the flow state or... And really, it's when you let life do you, when you're dancing, you're yin, because the, the, you're letting yourself be moved by the beat, rather than deliberately doing dance steps like this or like that, real dancing or enjoyable dance. A lot of people are like, God, I couldn't live without my dancing, my ecstatic dance or my five rhythms once a week. And it's like, yeah, because it's the only time in your life where you can let go of your control trips and your busyness and your to-do list and your kind of agenda um and actually let go and be moved um and um so when you dance your yin when you laugh your yin we use the active word i laugh as if you do it on purpose but really when you laugh you're just minding your own business something funny happens and the laugh erupts through you which you find funny and it's more accurate i think to say i am laughed or i am smiled because it's something that you're being moved by, you know? And where does this get practical? So when we are doing creative things, the yin is the most, is where the real genius of projects is to be found. Because as I said, a great idea pops into your head. We don't create an idea, um, it just arrives. We don't know where from, it's one of the great mysteries. When I write a song, I don't with the guitar go, I will play G, I will play C. You don't kind of like think up and build a song with building blocks. You hear a melody. When you're listening for something and you hear something, you're yin. It came to you. So the great treasure of a great song happens in a yin state. And then you use your yang to then write down the chords and go to the recording studio and do things. But the actual essence, the actual treasure part comes from us when we're yin, when we're receptive. And it's not just in creative things, in parenting. We were all brought up in, well, maybe you guys, but in when I was younger, we were brought up with very yang parenting where you molded the child, you know, and it was like 
get your shoes on, get a haircut, be an accountant. We will make yep. this child how we think it should be. Whereas we've all learned since then that the, the intelligent, compassionate, and efficient way to parent a child is the yin thing. So you're listening to the child. You're sensitive to the child. That's a yin quality. And when you pick up whatever you pick up, you be the space around the child for it to expand into whatever beautiful tomato plant it wants to be. That's a yin quality, being the space around something, holding the space. And with sex, another one of the great treasures. You know, if you're yang in your sex, if you're just like, I'll do this, I'll do that, and it's all prescribed and exact, and you know what you're doing, and you're doing this in a list, you know, some bits might work. Uh, but if you're uh, sensitive, if you're in your yin and you're totally with who you're with and you're listening to every curve, every smell, every moan, every shape, every you're totally in the moment, curious and sensitive and listening to the exact energy that's coming off this person or people, whoever you're with, then you will have the most beautiful lovemaking available. So really the great treasure of life is in the yin listening. So it's not to say the yang isn't super important. You've got to do stuff in this short life. But for me, I try and make my yang, my doing, my deliberate use of my will, the servant of my yin. So first comes the yin when it goes, oh, this is a good idea. And it knows in the deep stillness and the listening and the curiosity, yes, that's true. That's yin. And then it instructs the yang, like go and get the hammer and nails and the wood and build one of those. Uh, so the yang is the servant. The yang doing is the servant of the yin listening. Uh, speaking is a yang thing to do so the yin listening opens the channel when somebody's hurt or they need your advice or they've asked you a question in an interview the yin hears it the yang says it and that's why people mistake male leadership with destination choosing they're not the same thing destination choosing is actually a very yin thing it's like oh we need to go over there it's a feminine thing so it's like the feminine goes oh, we need to go over there and then instructs the yang pack up the car and lead us all over there um, but the yang leadership is at the service to the feminine knowing in each of us, boys and girls. Kind of like the, the duality of we are not the doers of action, but we have to act like we're the doers of action kind of thing. It's all mm -hmm. being done. And yet we still have to act like it is that we are doing. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That's a nice yin way to look at it. We're being moved to do it. Yeah. Mm. And it's also very connected to the, to the Holy Grail, if you're feeling Christian or Arthurian, um, the idea of the Holy Grail, the quest for the Holy Grail, um, is that we are poured into. So it's like, how open can you be to be moved, to be tr truly a, a channel or a passenger of the divine spark? You have to let go of your to-do list. You have to let go of your agenda. Like, I should be like this and your fixed view of things and open and be poured into. So that's the opposite end chakra right at the top. So we'll get to the crown chakra, I'm sure, later in your, in your podcasts. Uh, but when Arthur sent all his knights off to find the Holy Grail, it was Parsifal the Fool, who's the most yin of all, who discovered the Grail and, and had to ask one question before he was allowed to take the Grail. And that question was, whom does the Grail serve? So it's like you have to know, like, who are you doing this for? Is this to aggrandize your bank account? Is it to have great status? When you're doing a project, a lot of people think a project was only successful if lots of people came, I got lots of money, and I got tons of positive feedback on Facebook and Instagram. And, you know, that's what value is. How much money did I make and how many people loved me up? Uh, and if it doesn't do those things, the project isn't deemed to be a success. But that's very yang. 
and it's the wrong agenda. If you fix on those two things, you'll never have a successful or an enjoyable creative life. But if you expand your notion of what value means to be a bit more yin, to say, okay, it's not just about the money and how many people gave me self-esteem, which are two okay things, but also it's like, how much intimacy was there in the project and between me and the people I did it and the audience? Uh, how much service was there? How good was it for everyone, you know, who made it and where it went? How much learning was there? How much did it spread the influence of good things in the world? You know, when you start looking at the value of something as beyond just me, 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 ego, what did I get for myself? And you go into a more community spirited thing, a more love based thing, then whether it made money or it didn't make money or whether lots of people wrote you great five star reviews or didn't, you still go to bed with a smile on your face and consider it time well spent. Mm -hmm. so we have to expand our version of yeah now. we need a new yardstick or an additional yardstick or yeah, not a, yeah. A, maybe a, it's just a chalice right <laughs> <laughs> that has no volume measurement right it's just yeah. how, how full do you feel today <laughs> yeah and then one more thing just about the yin which i absolutely love there's this wonderful book called the screw tape letters there's this author called c.s lewis who wrote the narnia books um and he was a crazy Christian mystic and had really, you know, obviously all the Narnia books are very thinly veiled Christ allegories. Um, but the Screwtape Letters was another one of his books for a slightly older audience, uh, which was letters from an old devil to a younger devil on his nephew on how to best tempt the human he's been allocated. And um, one of them says, my dear Wormwood, I notice your human's doing an awful lot of praying at the moment. Don't worry about this. As long as he keeps talking to God and asking God for things and asking for God's forgiveness and all the energy keeps going from his mouth to God in that direction, we've got nothing to worry about. But if he shuts up for a minute and stops and lets the energy come down in the other direction from God down, filling him up, which, as we all know, is true prayer, then we've got a problem. Call me. And that really, really nails it for me of just like true prayer or true allowing the flow state to take us or true being creative or true making love is all about being moved, allowing it to pour down and fill you, it to pour down and move you more than one have an ego-led mental sort of agenda of we should do this, 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 and this. Being a passenger. But in I love a, it. In, um, yeah, being an active passenger, I guess. Yeah, I love that. Thank you for that. That's, yeah. That's such an amazing, that's such an amazing uh, image. That really mm. And it's so accurate. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, our ego is so in charge of our lives, which is the yang part, because the ego's um, mission is to avoid all risk or perceived risk. So because it never wants to risk looking stupid, it never wants to risk getting it wrong, it never wants to look be ashamed, it never wants to um, in any way not know the finish line. It wants an Excel sheet where it all adds up and there's something at the bottom that will make sense and everything is pre-planned and its idea of safety, because that part of us generally moves most people's lives which is the opposite of yin the idea of yin to the ego is terrifying because it's mysterious you don't know what you're going to get um you don't know how it's going to turn out you might look a bit stupid they might involve failure which is another word for discovery it might involve a whole bunch of things which the ego doesn't think it wants um, in its controlling way so if the more you are into 
protecting the idea of oh it's so terribly important what people think of me and oh i must never look stupid and i must never fail and everything has to be perfect and the, the more you're in that clenched thing the less genius art will come through you because you're narrowing the river to a trickle you're like editing it before it's even come through that's where writer's block comes from people with writer's block um are egomaniacs and vain no that's not fair <laughs> but um generally people with writer's block think that it's their ego's job to make it good right before it even gets a chance to become it's right. yeah. being molded just do it yeah you've got to remember as an artist as a creator that even if you went to picasso's studio you would see some absolutely incredible masterpieces you'd see some stuff that was pretty great and you see some stuff leaning up against the wall over there that was not so great um and you just see the great stuff because the artist only hangs the great stuff on the wall but to be a, a great artist you've got to let it all come through and you only need to look at a hendrix album or a beatles album or whatever you know on side two halfway through there's some pretty shoddy album tracks you know if you want to have imagine all the people you've also got to have octopus's garden um and the beatles were were sort of humble enough to put all those tracks on the album you know they 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 didn't only keep the masterpieces, they kept the silly ones as well as the incredible ones. Um, where we get this idea that everybody can only see me when I'm amazing and no one must ever see me when I'm anything and I've got to put another filter on my Instagram to make sure no blemishes, are, you know, that uptightness, that addiction to some perceived notion of perfection is killing art. It's terrible for art, it's terrible for music. Yeah, and it's also like I, I work in a professional setting and and for me like being in front of a client is one of those perfect examples of like you're never allowed to ever show the blemishes right of anything right. and yet the most successful people i've ever met in my company and elsewhere are the ones that let the blemishes show because it gains trust you have no trust without showing mistakes without showing you have to talk to a mannequin and it's funny if you look at the artists or the people that you've fallen in love with it wasn't their appropriate side their vanilla side that you fell in love with it was their edge it was their uniqueness it was their quirkiness it was the so you know it's so ironic that everyone's trying to sand away smooth off the place which is actually the place people are going to fall in love with your uniqueness oh yeah and when did you ever hear anybody say oh have you met brian oh he's so fucking appropriate <laughs> no i fucking hate perfect people <laughs> No, that's true. Like some of my best friends, the people that I admire the most are the people who come to me and they're like, you know, I just, you know, I just did X, Y, or Z, this horrible thing. And I'm like, awesome. Like, I think it's a beautiful, you know, thank you for sharing that human experience with me. And mm -hmm. I love it. Yeah, exactly. Humanities were and around so us is all about that you know like he was always trying to be holier than thou holy 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 i'm not meditating well enough or i'm not you know i'm not pure enough and one of his disembodied spirit friends emmanuel said you know look you're born a human how about taking the curriculum which means embracing your humanity a lot of the shadow workshops i do are all about that you know you can't edit away the neediness people who've got the spiritual path wrong think that their neediness, their greed, their human rage, their, all those, their lust, all those parts of them mean they're less holy and they're not enlightened enough. But that's not true. You're going to have all those parts as a human. Every human does. Mm -hmm. The spiritual ones are the ones that accept that and can love their own rage. And it, yeah. Without making it destructive for other people. They can love their lust. They can love all these places in themselves, not try and reject them and deny their humanity, 
they can accept their humanity. They, they don't maybe let those parts get the steering wheel that often. They don't let those parts. Well, because they accept them. So they just, they're just loved yeah. in there. They're not running. They're not yeah. suppressed because when you, the more you push down the beach ball under the surface of the water, the more violently it flies back up. That's right. why they, they beware the anger of the quiet man. Um, so yeah, it's the people that embrace their humanity. Like Alan Watts, it's, there's a line in the movie Becoming Nobody where Alan Watts says to Ram Dass, goes, you know, Dick, your problem is you're too attached to emptiness. <laughs> and it's just like another way of saying you're trying to deny your humanity. This, you know, this is such an important thing for people who think they're on a spiritual path. I mean, I've got another whole thing to say about spiritual paths. I think they're a con. Uh, but if you think you're on a spiritual path and it's and it's important, make it a path towards your shadows, not on a journey to light away from darkness. We're on a right. journey towards light and darkness, to loving the fact that I'm a weird, freaky human. And it includes rage and it includes lust and it includes neediness and it includes greed and it includes lots of things that the old religious people would say are not holy, but actually em embracing those parts of yourself, not letting them govern your life, but allowing them to be there, not being in mm -hmm. a self-abandoning judgment about it is fundamental to being truly spiritual. But beware of paths because right. we all know the real spirituality is about being so totally here, present in this moment. And there is nothing else. Everything else in the past and future is really an abstraction. So to be truly here now, where are you going on your path? away from right here and now where right. we're already now having a beautiful time pushing the parts you don't like of yourself away right <laughs> like and then chasing after whatever that perfect terribly guilty yeah. and self-loathing about it that's that's why we named the podcast this spiritual fix because it's a joke because there's nothing to fix yeah it's just and you know we christine and i we started our spiritual path doing vipassana and very you know rigid very very young type sitting on a mat i'm gonna do this this and this and and we came to realize like this is so ridiculous we need to also just love and embrace all of us like there's nothing to fix it's yeah. um yeah. it's just a lot to love exactly exactly well that kind of kind of perfectly glides into my first question for you since we kind of wanted to talk about relationships because i know you're doing the bitches and bastards series so how do you think society has fed us the illusion that our partner and our relationship needs to be perfect and how is that in some ways destroying intimacy wow okay uh, i'm not sure i fully agree with your premise but let's say that what you just said is true okay um, <laughs> well you know you hear a lot about people want everything to be perfect and if the guy's yeah. not perfect or the girl's not perfect they want to throw it away and and, yeah. and there's like a throwaway culture, if that makes sense. Yes. Love. Okay. So to throw something away implies that you had it in the first place. So that, let's just bust that myth. <laughs> I don't have you. You don't have me. No matter what we promise each other. Esther Perel puts it beautifully. And I'm sure you've checked out her stuff. I love her. Yeah. Um, she says, you know, we used to get divorced uh, because we were unhappy. Now we get divorced because we could be happier. Right. And there's a whole different mentality around the idea that we're so acquisitive. You know, we are consumer, me, me, me beings. We're not, you know, people used to live their life. And the great um, pride of having a lived a good life was that you left something better for the children. That has totally gone out the window now. The last two generations totally did a U-turn on that. And instead of living the great pride of leaving something better for the children, they were just like terrified of death 
terrified of anything that wasn't ego-led, like me, 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 I'll use it all up, I'll have as much for myself as possible, screw the next people. And they've just, the last two generations have screwed the planet in so many ways, killed more species, made more upheaval, all, all through just selfish worship of quick money and, and self-aggrandizement and self, self, self. It didn't always used to be like that. And because we are in such a state of acquisitive, acquisitive state of getting for ourselves, whereas a relationship or a creative project, as far as I'm concerned, is an area to be devotional. It's a place to give. It's a place to stretch those generosity muscles, those forgiving muscles, those humility muscles. And you will get a lot by doing that, but you're not there to get. And it's the same with a creative project. It's not there to get you self-esteem or get you money. A creative project is like something for you to pour your love into or having a child. It's there to pour your love into and you will get lots of love back, but you're not there to get the love. And in relationships, it has now become more of a shopping list of needs. This is my list of needs and I need to get these needs met by whoever I'm with. Do they tick these boxes? They're not there to tick your fucking boxes, love. Sorry, people are not there to to meet your shopping list and if they don't meet it then let's go to another one and see if it does you know as if it comes with a guarantee and i think that's what's killing the intimacy is is the framing of the relationship i'm here to get from you a b c d e you are here to deliver to me my feeling of safety you are here to deliver to me the feeling of being sexy you are here to deliver to me a, B, C, D, E, F, G. And if you don't deliver those things, I'm going to go to another shop and buy them somewhere else. That is a perverted, bound to fail version of how to it's go. It's kind of like the Yang thing you were saying before. Yeah. So, you know, it's, it's a way our culture has gone. It's like a lot of it is to do with death fear as well. It's like, you know, people used to die in the home. So it was just a part of life. Grandma got it grandma lived in the home you kissed her good night and then she was a bit ill you had to be a bit quiet around the house then you only ever saw her at bedtime the curtains were closed in her room then she died then the body was taken out and it all happened death was part of life now everyone's shipped off to live in a sanitized kind of place surrounded by strangers far away from home and we've disconnected ourselves from the process of death we don't allow old people <coughs> old people on the tv uh, you know, in our media, every wrinkle on Instagram has to be got rid of. Anything that signifies aging or death or all things has to be sanitized away. There's a cult of youth. Um, and that, that's the weird thing is that the youth don't know anything. It's the old people that are worth listening to. We've got the whole thing upside down. Um, so while we are yeah, in this death terror, um, we're trying to acquire and get as much as possible before we, you know, before we die ourselves. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's one of, one of the things that we, we have an episode upcoming, we talk about the great mother wound. And it's kind of that mm -hmm. same idea of the idea of pushing the, the mother is change, you know, like in the Hindu thing, the mother is change. She's the, she's chaos. She's all that stuff. And we're trying to push it outside of our houses in every mm -hmm. way possible by not growing the food, by not having the failure of the crops, by not having the death. Exactly. You know how many vegetables are thrown away? because they're not perfectly shaped. When you go into your vegetable shop, all the vegetables are perfectly shaped. There are millions of them that got grown that are a bit wonky where the carrot is twisted or whatever, and they aren't put on display. They're, the mountains of those vegetables are thrown away because they don't look like the perfect storybook cartoon version of a carrot. 
So, you know, some of them get made into sauces and into other things, baby foods, but, but really an immense amount of food produce is thrown away because it isn't the perfect geometric shape of what mm. a potato should look like. It's ridiculous. Ridiculous. Well, half the world starves. Right. And, and the people who picked them were through so much labor in the hot scorching sun only for that potato not to be the right shape. And then it's just. It's absurd. Absurd. <laughs> you can now you can in England anyway, you can buy the misshapen ones a bit cheaper and uh, it's worth doing yeah, or even better grow your own. You have a whole pro pro uh, program workshop called Bitches and Bastards. Can you talk a little bit about that? What is a bitch? What is a bastard? It's just a lighthearted way, again, to embrace the dark side of relationship and play with it. We don't really think everyone's a bitch or a bastard, but <laughs> we like to parade around and laugh about all our dysfunctional, manipulative ways of getting our needs met as a way to lighten up around it and be more human with each other. Just taught two of them this weekend. I teach it with my one of my absolute best friends who also lives with me at the moment uh, called Ruby May, who's an mm -hmm. amazing, you should get her on your show. She's extraordinary. Um, she also runs a company called Know Your Flow, which is all for women to get in harmony with their cycle so that they know at which points in the month they're going to feel active and, and creative and which parts they're going to need to be more like hibernating and, and self-nourishing. And she has some beautiful charts and, you know, she's just amazing. Oh, wow. Uh, she's called and Ruby. the homicidal is there a homicidal part on the chart you have to talk to her about that i wouldn't like to be the guy to say that um <laughs> can only speak from personal experience um so uh, yeah bitches and bastards you know we start the workshop all sitting in a circle and the first thing we do everyone you know to introduce themselves at the beginning everybody goes around the circle says their name and what would your most recent ex warn us about you and that's a great one it's a really great icebreaker and a really fun hilarious some people talk about it very tenderly and some people talk about it like in hilarious ways but you really get to know people another game we play is also from one of my intimacy workshops where i do a workshop called what about us <laughs> used to call it what about intimacy but no guys showed up then we started calling it what about us and we've got a few more guys um so we play this game with each other we could do it now all right let's do it okay is it, is it like i play, never with me? so i want to you know lily tomlin the wonderful philosopher actress she says never never marry anyone until first you've had lunch with their ex-wife um because we show the brochures why we've licensed dishonesty in the first date and as well as the job interview but let's talk about the first date it's licensed dishonesty. You don't bring yourself to the first date, you bring your representative, you know, and there's a lot of sort of false advertising and things pushed up and painted on and the guys are sort of wearing stuff. Everybody's like totally presenting some shop window of themselves, you know, it's like, oh, I, aren't you so bored of drama? Oh yeah, me too. I won't be any trouble. Uh, and it's only six months later, they discover what a lunatic you are um, inevitably when they find you sort of bitching at some poor hotel receptionist. So, I want to live in a world where we normalize much more transparency and just like how much more fun and intimate it is to be honest. So we play this game where everyone sits at a table together with a candle and some lovely music. We pair everybody up and um, person A says to person B, I find you very attractive. I really think this could go somewhere. But before we go any further, I have to warn you. And then you share the last thing you would ever share 
on a first date about what an utter liability you are in relationship what a total <laughs> I love that. and then person b says to person a oh wow well what do you need when you get like that and you answer it and you chat for a couple of minutes and then you swap sides and person b says to person a I find you very attractive. I really think this could go somewhere. But before we go any further, I have to tell you. And then they share the last thing they would ever share on a first date about what a fucking lunatic they are in relationship um, and why you should be warned. And then you ask them, oh, what do you need when that happens? And you chat and you do it three times each. So you have three different warnings. So you want to go for it? Sure. Okay. Well, you can do one each. Okay. I find you very attractive. Both of you. I think we could all go somewhere. <laughs> yeah, we could have a great um what is it when you have multi-wives? <laughs> but, um, but I'm not a Mormon. Um and uh but before we go any further, I have to warn you. I'm just trying to think of a good dysfunctional. Oh yeah, I am so screwed up in my patterning, my early infant patterning around what I was shown love was. I was shown so much that it was a neglectful, unavailable thing that if you actually treat me well and really loving and show yourself to actually be good for me i might not be able to find you attractive so so what do you need or um, what, what, do we, what do we say so what, what would you need just, in that I time need you to know that about me so that if i do start sort of needing a more sabotaging self-destructive environment it's i remember that it's not a need it's just old patterning and i can come back to the present part of me that is loving and available for um acrobatics so would you need a hug at that time or just to remind you that you're falling into pattern a little reminder okay sluttiness might help (laughs) (laughs) so some whips and chains that kind of suffering (laughs) oh i don't know i don't equate sluttiness with whips and chains (laughs) (laughs) thank you for that insight though Um, yeah do you ever have that that you'd like find a lot of people find that they get attracted to people that aren't yeah. good for them because their early patterning was actually quite because the chase yeah the, the lack of intimacy is yeah. is more of a challenge because it's a great distraction from you working on your own self if you're focusing on well how can i get them to like me or to actually treat me yeah. right yeah and it's one of the one of the, when i speak to god one of one complaint i have or one sort of question mark is that one thing about humans is we find rarer things more attractive than available things mm-hmm. uh, and that's a real screw up when it comes to relationship because really we want someone who's who's good for us is someone available not giving us mixed messages not being distant and playing games and being out of it someone who's like truly loving and available but we're hardwired to look at the available as less attractive than the well, rare thing that is going away that we it's want it's like the and, magnet demagnetizes kind of it's like you want that polarity in a way that you know desire like esther perel says you can't desire something that you have and that's the crux of our is our is in our relationships yeah, I is think we, that's really unhealthy though because we i know but want you want it who's constant and available and, and right mature you know not someone who's playing games or looks like they might be out the door or you know yeah. i've never found that you know i i mean, I've, I've genuinely not found that that i have i've found people who are available very relaxing and i think the mm-hmm. best of myself actually comes out rather than being the anxious waiting for green light fever waiting for you to come on on right right yeah it's like the yeah. slow burning wood or the blowtorch goes out quickly and we've been talking uh about this season about the mother wound which we talk about as the attachment wound 
right? Which is that idea that like, and the, the, the stats is that half the people in America are insecurely attached, meaning that they're going to do anxious or avoidant attachment. They're going to do that same thing because that early patterning, you know, whether you want to put a name to it or, you know, just say, hey, it's yeah. early patterning. That, and I bet those statistics yeah. are going to go up since the cry it out book came out. That's my own theory anyways. <laughs> so you'll go. Who's going to go next? Okay, I'll go next. All right. I find you both attractive. And I would love to take this further. But before we do, what you really need to know about me is that about three days before my period, I turn homicidal. The sound of your chewing is going to drive me crazy. The pitch of your voice is going to make me want to tear my hair out. I will hate you for about three days and I will try my best to pretend like I don't. And then when that's over, I'm going to feel really shitty <laughs> and I'm going to overcompensate for what a bitch I was by doing too much. And it'll just, it'll just happen every month. And I just, I'm just going to hate you for th about three days. I'm so sorry. <laughs> Mm, thank you. What do you need when you get like that? I need Netflix and takeout. And I just need to be like as isolated as possible. So for damage control purposes, but I need to know you still love me, even though I'm being a total fucking bitch. Okay. If you can't. <laughs> okay. I've never heard of anything like that before. That's the British humor for you, right? Right. I've got three daughters. Yeah, you got three daughters. So. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Beautiful. All right. I will go now, I guess. I mm -hmm. find you both attractive. But before we go any further, I need to let you know that due to early circumstances in my life, I will often feel as if I my survival is at risk at any moment. So I will often feel even things that you cannot understand how I could have ever linked with a risky or scary or life threatening situation, I will see as life threatening. And as a result, I will become hyper vigilant and hypercritical of the situation trying to get all the information that I can because I'm terrified that me or someone I love is going to die, even if it's something like not telling me that, you know, you left cookies in the oven or something even less than that. Mm, feeling you. Thank you. And how can we serve you when that, you know, what do you yeah. need when that happens? I need to feel safe and I need to feel like I have information so that I can handle and deal with all the things and satiate all the places that have become scared or feel like they're not going to survive. Mm. Makes sense. So you need a lot of informa information? Information and communication is very key for that. Yeah, for me. Do you need hugs or anything else or is information enough food? <laughs> I, think, I think I'm getting to this whole like... Uh, you know, one of the things, Jamie, for context, one of the things we talked about in an interview with, with um, a man named Satyan Raja is like the masculine kind of pole holding the feminine when the feminine gets kind of out there and chaotic and a little, you know, like maybe just needs to be held and said like, it's, it's okay, it's safe, it's whatever. That 
I think I'm getting to understand that that is a need of mine for just to be a moment where I don't have to be in charge and I don't have to be the decision maker and I can just be like, it's okay, it's safe. It's not all dependent on you right now. Mm. I like that. Beautiful. See, if we all communicate more like this from the beginning, I actually think intimacy thrives. Well, you know, on my very first date with my now husband, he told me all the reasons why his relationships fell apart, like on our first date. And I loved it. I thought, this is great because I know what I'm walking into and I'm not um, it, learning as I go. It was like, okay, these are the things. I loved it. I, I obviously, obviously it worked out well for him because we got married. And I did the same thing to my husband. I said, are you sure? Because this is all the stuff. I think I was less eloquent back then, but I definitely did that. Cause I mean, that's also for me. At the I think time, you said I was, suck at relationships or something. I, I think you I told just me said like, yeah, I said something along those lines, but it was, but it was interesting because at the time it was a weapon to push him away and not a secret intimacy, but, um, and it can be used both ways, but I think if it's, if it's used to be an opening, right. To like, just say, Hey, welcome into my world. Enjoy. And also to also show that you have the consciousness that you know your stuff well enough that you're not totally unconscious about your patterning and your acting out yeah. and a victim to it, that you're actually, there's things you're working on, there's things you're aware of and normal service will soon be resumed the management <laughs> yeah i think there's nothing sexier than self-reflection like if you get in an argument with someone and you're just going back and forth and they're trying to explain they have a whole manifesto a whole ted talk about why they're right and you're wrong there's nothing that attractive in that but for someone to be like wow you know i really i did x y and z and it was horrible and i was even thinking of doing you know and they just kind of self-reflect and even if even if nothing comes of that just the fact that they could see it and admit it is, is just, I think it's a huge turn on. And it's also just a great expression that they are going to grow because you're not trying, I can't, I'm not verbalizing it well, but like admitting your problem is so much more attractive oh. than fighting for your fucking bullshit. Awareness of shadow work is one of the sexiest things there is in my mind. <laughs> it really is like awareness of your shadow awareness of, of, of the work that you have done, that you are, where you are now in that and showing all those sides, right? Because then then not only that, but you don't kind of risk your, me speaking in the risk language, you don't risk the, the, the dark passenger, right? Which um, can be a surprise if someone's all perfect all the time. There's always gonna be that dark passenger. Mm -hmm. That may be not great not safe yeah do you find for people who are primarily identifying as feminine or masculine do you see that there are um thematic warning signs or issues or shadows that come up based on the gender that like I want to make this available for anyone listening, everyone who is welcome. I can hear you trying to word this question very Right, I, I'm trying to, okay. <laughs> for, uh, okay, like I want to say, this is the non, the non-PC way to say it. Do you okay, think- Okay, from a heteronormal point of view. Okay, from a what? A young? Heteronormal. Okay, a heteronormal point of view. Are there intimacy issues that you notice in these workshops or just in life that men commonly deal with? And then what are the ones that women commonly deal with? 
Yeah, I mean, look, just to be totally, there's nothing really new. The common ones are not going to sound new to you. You know, in our culture, despite all our beautiful gender variant um, pro pro progress, you know, they give pink toys to the girls and blue toys to the boys. You know what I mean? Like boys are encouraged to be big and strong and soldiers. And, you know, the kind of compliments people pay little boys aren't that you're pretty. <laughs> they, they, they say to boys, um, in fact, I once had a girlfriend in a long way who looked at me with such soft eyes, she went, you're pretty. And it felt so nice. Like, it's like such a, I don't know, there was something so so sweet about that. But usually, you know, little boys are told, you're a big, strong boy, you're a brave boy, look at you, big, strong. And so they're very much encouraged. They're not so encouraged to be sensitive and to show their feelings. Of course, in the Waldorf schools and the Steiner stuff and in the new, very niche way that we're being more conscious with the kids, of course, little boys are taught to be more sensitive. But but in the in the general gender stereotyping, He-Man, Masters of the Universe um, kind of toys and media and kids shows and movies that are available boys are still very much taught to be strong and so therefore they have shadows around showing their vulnerability showing their feelings crying comfortably um and girls you know are still taught that you've got to be pretty uh that you've got to be a certain shape uh that you've got to be blemishless that you've got to be a little princess and so a lot of your shadows are around competing with other women for how much of a perfect princess you are or how much of a perfect man you've got or how much of a blemishless, you know, night cream you're wearing or, or, or um, things to do with very stereotyped feminine things which are still fired through the media. You know, you only need to go down to the centre of town and you'll see that the billboards which are advertising everything are still showing this very, very unrealistic airbrushed version of what a woman should be, um, even in all the female magazines. And um, it's toxic. It, it very subliminally makes anyone who's not like that feel like they're not enough. And the advertising agencies need you to feel like you're not enough because if you, while you're feeling not enough, you're going to spend that money on that cream. You're going to spend that money on all the different products that you don't need. Um, and if all the women reclaimed their power of their bodies and reclaimed their pride in all the different nuances and shapes and voluptuous curves of being a woman, including the wrinkles of age as your wisdom grows through your 40s, 50s, 60s, if women reclaim that and stop being the servants to all the white men that are trying to take your money, um, those industries would collapse. Uh, and it's the same, you know, for men. And, you know, men are kept by the media in a permanent state of adolescence. So they are dangled with shiny blinky things and a nice sports car or a nice gadget or a nice this or a nice that, which is what sort of, you know, teenagers need. Um, but as, as long as when as soon as a man reclaims his real male power, he doesn't need a sports car to show you that he's powerful. He doesn't need an expensive gadget or, or a groomed this or that in order to show you the surface of his power or a certain bank account. His power radiates from being in service. His, his power radiates from being loving, leading through love uh, and being available. And our culture doesn't support that. So the obvious shadows ensue. Men don't show up to so many intimacy things. They find it much, much of a bigger deal to share their feelings. 
and to share their vulnerability. Uh, they also think that they've got to sort of win and have high status. And so it, it, it's harder for them to be good listeners, but not because they don't have the capacity to be good listeners. It's just because they think that they need to keep showing that they know what's going on and that they're in charge or they're in control in order to get respect. I mean, I know I've been your guest today, but look at my white male privilege. I've probably spoken five times as much as you guys. Um, but you're our guest. I know, but still there's another part of me that I'm white, I'm wealthy, and I think that people should listen to me. And it's just a way that I've been brainwashed, you know? Um, okay, so stop talking. I, I <laughs> yeah, yeah, you, you talk now. Well, no, no I, the thing I think is so interesting about what you said, and I'm sorry, I didn't actually, I shouldn't have taken, taken advantage. I was kidding, keep talking, I was not kidding. supposed to take advantage of the space. No, um, the, so interesting is that I'm just sitting here connecting in my head, is that like, you said earlier about the church and how in some ways the church teaches you, teaches you and traditional religion teaches you that the young is the most important. You have to do like when in prayer, you have to always ask, you don't receive, right? And then- well, also like, it teaches you to submit to God's will. You know, there's quite a lot of yin in it as well. Yeah, it's that, just very that's poorly true. expressed. That, that's true. That's true. But it's interesting because in some ways I, what I hear you saying and how it like hits me and how I receive it is that men in their, in men, in the ultimate, you know, um, hetero, I'm just going to say the masculine energy is its aspiration is to be in service. And yet every yeah, single message is saying, don't be in service. And then the fe mm -hmm. the, fe the feminine, its aspiration is to be fully in its acceptance and love of, and trust of itself. And yet every single message is saying, don't have trust of yourself. So both of them are pushing them. Like, Opposite. Yeah, they're completely pushing away what they're Because when people are in their disempowered state, which is what you just described, the opposite disempowered version, then we can get their money easier. Right. It's like energy castration. How can we castrate the men? Take away their purpose, fill it up with fast cars and sex. And then how can we castrate women energetically? Take away her self-worth. Yeah. Something exactly. like that. It's, just, it's capitalism. It's, you know, it's creating a need that isn't there and to get people's money. And if anything's going to kill us on this planet, it's going to be the worship of quick money. It's not just the worship of money, because you could do that sustainably. It's the worship of quick money uh, that is going to kill us. And it just doesn't care about ransacking the environment, screwing up everybody's mm -hmm. mental health. It doesn't care. It right. just wants quick money. And that's it's getting more and more and more polarized into a fewer and fewer people having the money and more and more on people not having the money, yet they still lie down and take it. It's very weird. Uh, they say that, interestingly, one of the reasons why this polarization and this inequality has been allowed to continue is because of the hamburger. Why? What do I mean by that? <laughs> yeah. Is that in any other, in, an, if you, in, in normal culture, people who had this tiny amount of money would not be able to feed themselves. Um, and if they couldn't feed themselves, they would rise up in revolution. But because they can feed themselves for 99 cents with this horrible, toxic, processed hamburger, hamburger yeah. they're not starving to death. And therefore, there's no revolution. Because we found a way to feed them, albeit with poison, um, for under a dollar, there's no revolution. But if we were at, if they didn't have processed food, if they didn't have, if, if you actually had to eat real food, which nobody could afford, there would be a revolution because people wouldn't be able to afford it. 
And so what allows people to be in this mass poverty, for example, across America, I mean, look at Texas. I don't know if any of you, either of you anywhere near Texas, but if Texas succeeded from the union, it would be the fourth richest country in the world if it was its own country. Yet it's got the third highest child poverty rate in America. It's only after like Mississippi and something else. It's got incredible child poverty, and yet it's the wealthiest place in the country. And that just gives you an example of the polarization of the haves and the have-nots. And if we didn't have the science to make 99% 99-cent happy meals or whatever, there would be a revolution. But while everybody can be given a hamburger, they can carry on working in the menial jobs and picking your avocados for you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and when you say quick money, I think that that leads it back in my head to the fear of death, right? Because it's like, there's no idea of legacy, right? It's what do I need right now? What do I need this in this life now? How can I acquire as much as possible for me? Because that sense of seven generations or even one or two generations is gone. Again, I would say because of this great mother wound, this great need to push away death, this great need to like not trust that anything's happening beyond my experience right now. So I'm going to take advantage of it. You know? Yeah. Well, the mother wound, I mean, like when you talk about the mother, I think of community, like the mother gathers all her children together. The mother of five is us, Yeah. not me, me, me. Yeah, exactly. So it's like, how can we, I don't want us all to put on virtual reality, meta Facebook, you know, separate ourselves even more. So there's a funny meme on Facebook recently, which had just someone sitting on a hill next to a forest. There's this amazing new thing called the universe. You can walk around and meet people and interact. And of course, it's just like the real world. You know, like we already have a place to walk around and meet each other. It's called the world. You know, why are they creating a whole plastic version? That's great. Your data and sell your this and that and the other. No, risk-free. So, you know, getting together, so important, you know, like togetherness. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So on our, on our podcast, we like to give people a lot of practical tips from taking this deep philosophy and then turning into something you can digest and swallow. Yeah. So you talk in some of your blogs, you talk about, uh, we call it the drama triangle, right? The rescuer, persecutor, victim, basically victim consciousness and that dynamic we play in relationships by taking turns being the persecutor rescuer. And you talk about it in one of your blogs about we giving away our power, right? So what? yeah, you um probably, probably. Yeah, giving your power away that you're in a relationship and then you 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 play victim. You, you manipulate situations to play the victim, and that's a way of giving away your power. That's maybe I don't really remember. Well, I don't know. I think I it was I, I went back. I went I back far. You. I think it was like a 2013 post. It might so. have been before I was enlightened. But yeah, yeah okay, it, was, it was before your enlightenment. But anyways, so I guess a practical tip is what kind of practical tips would you have for relationships to maintain your power and still grow in intimacy? Okay, well, one is for in all ways, the best tip I can start anyone off with is notice meditation is what meditation means to me is noticing what you're thinking and noticing what you're feeling. Simple as that. Because when you notice what you're thinking and you notice what you're feeling, you realize it's a menu. It's not truth. 
Yet when we're not noticing what we're feeling and noticing what we're thinking, we act all day as if that stream of thinking or that stream of feeling is truth and we need to act on it, definitely. So the most empowering thing anybody can do for themselves is to notice their stream of thinking and notice their stream of feeling. Simple as that. And that's why meditation is great to do sitting on a cushion for 20 minutes or half an hour, sitting, noticing what you're thinking and noticing what you're feeling. Great thing to do. But really, meditation now should be from the moment you wake up in the morning to the moment you close your eyes at night is meditation. I want you noticing what you're thinking and noticing what you're feeling all the time and not minding what a fucking lunatic you are. Your response to noticing can't be judgmental. It has to be finding yourself totally adorable all the time, even in what you consider to be perceived failure. Um, so the first way to do that, that's quite a big thing for me to ask you to do, but I really think it's achievable. And the first step along that, I would say, if you're a beginner in this, is start with noticing your self-talk. Just start with that. Notice how you talk to yourself on the inside or even out loud when you're walking around the house, oh, fucking idiot, or whatever you're saying to yourself. Notice your self-talk. You would never talk to anybody else like that. Um, and stop talking to yourself like that, you know? Every time you find yourself talking to yourself like that, you have a, the most thing I teach all my students is a, a two-pronged thing. You can do it with me now. Anytime you fail or anytime something happens that you don't like or anytime it all gets hairy, uh, do this with me now, both of you. So you. You take the palm of your hand, you just place it on your heart and you just rub very gently like you mean it. And then you make this ancient Tibetan Aztec mantra sound. It's very complicated. So just listen carefully and then make this sound with me while you're rubbing. You go like this. You go... Oh. Mm. you're so cute when you're an oh. asshole to yourself yeah <laughs> and if you can do that 20 times a day that's the deepest spiritual practice that you can do well you know what's funny we talk about it in the podcast but your friend ram das does visit me some i do see him come and visit and he will make me go like this he will have me just bring my hand to my heart and tap it and be here Mm -hmm. it's so cool that you're kind of telling the same thing oh bless him i miss him i thought of him yesterday and i just burst into tears my last interaction with him was so because i just had this therapy session where we were talking about in, the, the inherent feeling of not being lovable you know i know i'm great i know i do great this i know i do great that but there's this little block if you didn't get it as an infant that basic transmission that you're great and we want you around here uh there's a block you can get all the fans in the world all the lovely thank you letters all the awards all the everything and it doesn't quite go in you know like it doesn't matter how much success you have how much money you make there's still this inherent kind of oh it's there i can almost feel that lovely i can't anyway when randas saw the becoming nobody movie you know, he kind of liked it and we chatted a bit, you know, like he was, it was a lot of me and this and that. And it, I could tell that he liked it, but he wasn't blown away by it. But then he saw it a second time and was really blown away by it. And he saw it with like a thousand other people in the Maui Film Festival outdoors where they were honoring him. And he suddenly felt a thousand people all getting it and all getting that loving awareness transmission. And then he came on the Zoom or the Skype or whatever, whatever it was with me I'm not sure I can tell you this without starting to cry again. Anyway, he he, uh, he just looked at me and he just put his hands like this and he went, no, no, Jamie, stop. He went, 
thank you. And it was the most sincere thank you. It was the first time I ever let in, in a way, that I'd done something right. I don't know why. It just penetrated straight through all the membranes of resistance and humility and fake humility and neediness. And it just, he just went straight through. A bit like when Luke Skywalker shoots that bullet into the Death Star, he gets it right in the hole, goes right into the middle of the Death Star and explodes it. I had a little Star Wars reference there. Um, yeah, that was my last moment with him, was him saying this thank you that penetrated through all my resistance to be able to not receive it. Um, and it really was maybe the only time I've ever really 100% received, you did something good here. I have to say, hearing you say his has the same effect. Like, I, you're not saying it to me, you're just recalling the story, but like that, thank you. It's, it. it totally feel it, totally feel it. That's mm -hmm. amazing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it messed me up. And I thought of it yesterday because I'd just done a therapy session about just that. I just started weeping. It was so good. <laughs> Crying is so good. I really need to do it more. Yeah. Yeah. My heart's just like cracking. It's like, oh, yes, thank God. <laughs> It was a beautiful, beautiful film. Beautiful mm. film. It's my it's my favorite documentary ever. It's at Gaia.com for anyone who wants to watch it. You know, there are a lot of people that want to see it. Like, particularly, it's one of the only films that that touch upon death in a mainstream way. So there's quite a few screenings that go off people that have just like lost people or who are losing people or themselves are dying. Mm. Um, some people I work with are in that kind of area. Uh, I do a thing called The Lovely Gathering twice a week, which is um, 2 p.m. New York time, 11 a.m. L.A. time on Wednesdays. It's free, um, called The Lovely Gathering. It's just a free Zoom thing, and it's 11 a.m. UK time on Saturdays, so that won't be much use to your American friends. But on Wednesdays, it's American-friendly timing. Also, there's a thing on, um, on the 21st, which is American Friendly Timing, which is a workshop I don't do very often. It's a one-day workshop on the summer, on the winter solstice called A Little Bit of Death. So it's, it's all about a little bit of death, <laughs> going into some of that stuff. Um, but yeah, the lovely gathering for Americans would be every Wednesday at 2 p.m. New York, 11 a.m. LA, and it's just free on my Zoom. People come and they just be present with each other, just hang out, just awesome. have a bit of human contact, read a poem, sing a song, or... Just listen, don't even have to put your camera on. People often have their camera off. They just leave it on as their 90 minutes of lovely people in the background for the human connection for a lot of people are feeling a bit isolated. Yeah. We'll, we'll put links on the show notes to anyone listening. Sweet. Yeah. What do you need now before we say goodbye? Well, I'll just quickly, your bisters, your bitches and bastards workshop looks amazing but it's only live right now isn't that right yeah i guess we could do a sort of an online viable downloadable version mm. i was just curious if you ever were thinking about making it more to do you Zoom know or something like that yeah more what more accessible to people that aren't remote so like a viable downloadable thing you mean yeah or or just a, yeah an online yeah an online version of it or or yeah so yeah. that remotely okay, I'll think that, about you it. Run over, that you run over like Zoom or I don't want to just use brand names, but yeah. Um, yeah. Like that. Yeah. 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 Okay. I'm, I'm in. If you, uh, you get the people, you book the time, I'll be there. Mm -hmm. All right. 
that was a very yang thing <laughs> i'm a yes i'm a yes if you can find 20 or so people give me the time i will be there and i will serve all right y'all heard That'll it here awesome. if you're interested you can do it for free if, uh, if you're you interested in, uh, we'll have a sign up sheet on our show notes and we'll try to collect 20 of you listening how many people listen to your thing um i think we get two to three thousand downloads per episode yeah cool yeah so, about about 30 3200 a week downloads a week what what kinds of things do you guys not agree on her and me between yeah. the two of us uh we actually agree on everything yeah, we we're both fucked up but we're both amazing we're but we we uh the whole second season we cover how we basically go through this massive argument and oh we had a huge fight while making oh. the podcast when we were in the drama triangle and it was used to demonstrate the drama triangle. So we basically used our conflict yeah. to try and help people get through or help ourselves and others. Yeah, because I was playing rescuer and she was playing victim and then she would call me persecutor and then I would play victim. So that was really our only big fight, but we played it out on the podcast so people yeah. got to learn from it, which was Fantastic. awesome. Yeah, and that's what Randas does. He uses his own melodrama as the drama. It's okay. Oh, we've got melodrama over here. Yeah. And the thing is, is that we do disagree on things, but we're good. We're okay with communicating it now. Whereas when we first started, we were doing a lot of rescuing. Like somebody would be like, yeah, I'm okay with that. Yeah, she's like, can we change the time? And I'd be like, that's really, like, really bad for me, but I will change it because I have to be the rescuer because if I'm amazing, she'll never leave me. Yeah, yeah. And Anna likes, to Anna likes to take out stutters and I like to keep them in, but I'm cool with it. Yeah, I'm like, like I like to shoot. edit the episode and make it polished and she likes yeah, to no, keep human. them in. Yeah. yeah. Keep them in, baby. <laughs> <laughs> Jamie's, Jamie's got my back on that one. I'm just joking. All right, I know, and he... he you know a lot more about production than than me over here. I just think we want aliveness more than we want the groomed. That's true. Well, I, I'm self-conscious about my stuttering because I will repeat myself when I talk. So I I, I like to take those out because I'm trying so you, to be blemish-free and perfect. Exactly, so you love me. Love me. In the end, it's all just about loving me, please, because we're all born with this sankara of unlovability, right? Okay. But I, the more you stutter and look so beautiful and, and powerful in it, then other people who stutter have the permission to not feel shame about it. That's true. That's true. But we might lose listeners. <laughs> just kidding. I'm just no, kidding. I, I mean, that's the whole thing, right? Like, it's so funny because, like, I think when I first started, I was feeling really self, I was, like, feeling self-conscious because I say ums. Like, I feel dead space with ums. Like, really, sometimes they can be, like, epic ums that just last for so long, right? And... Uh, and, um, and, I, <laughs> and, and all of a sudden I started to recognize, I just started to, to think of it as an ohm, right? I was like, <laughs> ohm, <laughs> be like that, right? Because depending it's on what- It's just your throat chakra calibrating. I throat chakra and I'm totally right. cool with it. And then, and then I also, and now at this point, I actually try and one-up myself with embarrassing stories about myself because I've found that humiliation and shame when you- for me, when I when I go out there with my own humiliation and shame, I can be anything, right? Yeah. I'm telling a story about how I had to like I had explosive diarrhea while I was sitting down meditating one time and had to like sit there for an hour and, <laughs> and I wanted to edit it out by she the way. She wanted to edit it out. I was like, you better not fucking edit that out. I was like, that is my power, man. Like that's me. That's me being as human as I can possibly be and mm. not try and be this perfect 
thing that doesn't have those moments, you know, because they're funny for one thing. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. Totally. Yeah. Well, thank you so much. I really hope people listening get interested and we'll make a sign up sheet. And hopefully that will be an excuse to see you again. Yeah, maybe we can't even come over there. Are you both in the same state? We're both in Georgia, near um, Atlanta, Georgia. Oh, that's where my friend Speech lives. Oh, where does he live? Or she? You know the band Arrested Development? Yeah. Yeah. I'm pretty sure they're in Georgia. Yeah, and we did a great song in Athens, Georgia, with Michael Stipe, you know, from R.E.M. Yeah. Yeah. I saw you worked with Leela Downs. I love her. Oh, I love her. Yeah. That was in Mexico. Yeah. Yeah. Love it all. So, look, I'll see you guys soon. Behave yourself. Thanks for coming. Thanks for sharing your your um, white male privilege with us. My pleasure. <laughs> teasing you because I know you're self-conscious about that. I'm just I know kidding. your wisdom. No, thank you. Hey, I can't do it like Ram Das, but thank you so much for making that film and thank you for sharing today. Mm, wonderful. Love you both. All right. Bye. We hope that you enjoyed this episode interviewing Jamie Cato. If you would like to participate in a Bitches and Bastards workshop, please go to our website, www.thisspiritualfix forward slash Jamie Cato. That's J A M I E dash C A T T O. And remember, humility, gratitude, acceptance, done. Hi, y'all. Listening to the last season of This Spiritual Fix may have stirred up for you some awareness of how the mother wound ties into so many of our subconscious needs and desires in our daily lives. Well, we've put together a comprehensive five-week course on this mother wound, complete with meditations, journal prompts, and never-before-seen videos and lectures. This course is designed for you to heal your personal and cosmic attachment wounds, reparent yourself, and surrender to the Great Mother. This course is an intense experience for spiritual seekers, and maybe you're not ready for something that intense yet. So we've put together our version of what we call the Shadow Work Essentials course, the Mother Wound Mini, to give you access and awareness to this wound with tools to process your energy and to remember the Cosmic Mother's love for you. I cannot emphasize enough how much this work has changed my relationship with my partner, my kids, my family, and the world. It can be life-changing for you too. Go to our shop, www.thisspiritualfix.com forward slash shop for more details. Let me tell you all a riddle. There are four girls and four apples in a basket. Every girl takes an apple, yet one apple remains in the basket. How is this possible? The answer, one girl took the basket. She took the last apple while it was in the basket. Sometimes all it takes is a perspective shift. This is my specialty, y'all, and I am opening up two spots in the next two months for dedicated journeyers to work with me to find peace, purpose, and most importantly, perspective. In these journeys, we co-create a curriculum that suits your current blocks, goals, and needs, and we use all the tools, shadow work, books, fiction, remote viewing, intuition, meditation, guided journeys, energy healing, dreaming techniques, you name it, we do it, and all to achieve a commonly held set of objectives. And if you're interested in hearing more, Book a free call with me at www.chriswilsey.com forward slash discover.